Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. has so much appeal a great place to get a seafood meal Miami 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 you've got style pictures Los Angeles 2021 Welcome to Out on the Lanai, the only Golden Girls podcast you'll ever need to listen to. I'm H. Allen Scott, a.k.a. Sadie Pines. I'm Carrie Doherty. Bush. And this is a podcast where we used to watch an episode of the Golden Girls and then talk about it. But now we do whatever the hell we want because we talked about every episode. And that's exactly what we're doing today. Or let me say what I'm doing today. So you see, Carrie is very preggers right now. In fact, when you're listening to this, she may have actually had the baby, had little baby Aurora or Oreo or, you know, you remember that episode. Her and Stan are having a baby, which you all know, and which is so exciting. So please, while you're listening to this, go on to Instagram, send her a big congrats, send her just all the love because we finally have a baby in the Oodle universe. I knew it was gonna be her first, let's be real. There's no baby coming on my end. So big congratulations to Carrie and Stan. Okay, this episode is a special episode though, and I'm actually, I feel very qualified to do this episode solo because it is our pride episode. Now. Uh, I decided to do a Pride episode because the our, the network that we're on, Hoo-ha-ha, a great, fantastic network, is doing so much great programming around Pride. And I figured, well, why not do a Golden Girls Pride moment? Because there's so much to be proud about the Golden Girls and what they did for the queer rights movement. I mean, how sort of ahead of their time they were on so many different issues from, you know, gay rights to lesbian rights to sort of gender non-binary expressions. I mean, it just, it was kind of like wild how how ahead of their time they were. And so I wanted to do them justice. Now, as a queer person, one of the things that, and as, you know, someone with a Golden Girls tattoo who is known for their love of the Golden Girls, one question that I get asked all the time is what's your favorite, like, gay Golden Girls moment? And it's hard for me to narrow it down. And I'm also surprised at how, you know, many moments there were that people don't seem to recognize or even remember. And I wanted to sort of put down in one podcast the most iconic moments, gay moments, queer moments on the Golden Girls. So that's what this episode of Out on the Lanai is going to do. We're going to break down 
the most iconic moments. Now, there are so many episodes, and obviously I couldn't include them all, so I wanted to include, like, all of the ones that really stand out that had a major queer storyline of some kind, that it was it was, uh, it was sort of like an arc in the story, and it was essential to the story, the, this queer thing that was happening in the story, and there are many episodes like that, so I'm including those in this episode of Adam and I. Of course, there are other moments of queerness on the Golden Girls, either in passing or little funny moments or sometimes complicated moments on the Golden Girls. And I would I would be remiss not to like highlight those moments because one of the things that I learned over the years that we were doing the Golden Girls podcast is that if you don't include or mention something, people will freak out. And I don't want you to freak out because I'm a huge fan too. And when I'm listening to a podcast and they leave something out that I love and know is essential, I get very angry. So in an attempt to not make you so angry, here are honorable mentions of queer moments on the Golden Girls that stand out, but don't stand out enough for them to be like highlighted as the best of moments. Okay, here we go. Who's in charge here? Well, what's the problem? I'm the caterer. It's two o'clock. The guests are waiting. Why isn't the show on the road? <laughs> Ma, I know you're in there. The wedding is off. She doesn't approve. She doesn't approve? Now look here, Stretch. <laughs> I have a hundred cheese puffs and a sensitive assistant both on the verge of collapse. Whatever the problem is, overlook it. My mother did with my marriage. And if you say something smart, I'll slap you silly. I think one of the most iconic queer characters on the Golden Girls, they were never a central part of the story of an episode or anything, but they did appear in two episodes of the Golden Girls, and I think they deserve a bit of respect. It's Ray Burke. Ray Burke was a character actor who played the caterer in two episodes of the Golden Girls, in Sophia's Wedding and There Goes the Bride Part 2, the one where Dorothy almost marries Stan again. And he, I mean, he has one of the best comebacks of any character on the Golden Girls ever. It's when Blanche says, you're about ready to fly right out of here. Oh, shoot, I can't do impressions. I'm not good at impressions. And then he goes, well, excuse me for living, Anita Bryant. This is more moving than Susan Hayward's climactic speech, and I want to live. <laughs> you're ready to fly right out of here, aren't you? Well, excuse me for living, Anita Bryant. Which was a reference to the 70s sort of very anti-gay pageant lady who was an orange juice sort of spokeswoman who had led this campaign against gay teachers in schools in California. A very sort of despicable woman who had a pie thrown in her face. I highly encourage you to go watch that video. It's, it's on YouTube. Just Google it, and, you know, Anita Bryant pie, and you'll laugh a lot. It's quite a moment in gay history. So that's my first honorable mention. My second honorable mention goes to Tom Isbell in the Valentine's Day episode. Now, this is a subtle one. This is sort of like a meta one because it was a very small moment. It was the Valentine's Day episode where Blanche is in the bar and she's sort of, you know, reminiscing about her, her husband, and, and she's kind of sad and it's just sort of one of those sad moments. And she sort of starts talking to this young man at the bar about him proposing. And Blanche, of course, is like, coaching him a little bit and then the man's partner comes in and it's revealed oh this is a gay man and Blanche goes well I guess some things do change after all it was a cute little moment Tom was a cutie so I had to give him 
an honorable mention in this moment. Another honorable mention, and perhaps, you know, right up there with Ray Burke as the caterer, this guy didn't have a character name, really. I mean, he did, but, like, he, he wasn't big into the episode. It's Frank Burney. Frank Burney played the stage manager in the episode The Actor, where all the girls are lusting after the actor in the play. And there's a moment where, <laughs> where they say, if you slept with Frank Burney, like, raise your hand or something, and... You know, or if you slept with the actor, raise your hand. And Frank Burney does. And it's just it's just a funny little gay moment that's sort of playing on the stage manager being gay. And I loved it and I actually kind of thought it was kind of hot to imagine the two of them together. Another honorable mention that I isn't to me, I'm including it because it proves that like gay people can be assholes, too. You know what I mean? Is in the episode The Artist with Lazio and Lazio was the sculpture artist and he kind of used the women and the women were sort of lusting after him and the whole bit in the episode hinges on a the guy being an asshole but also b that he never was going to be with the women anyway because he was gay with victor you know very with who was played by so the two actors lazio was played by tony jan and monty landis played victor and it was just a funny bit at the end of the episode where you find out that they're gay but they're also assholes so i'm including them in the pride roundup because hey gay people can be assholes too Another great one is, it's, it's a bit complicated, actually, but it's John Shook. He played Gil Kessler in the season three episode, Strange Bedfellows, where they're all sort of working for this campaign, supporting this candidate for the city council or for mayor or something. And and it later turns out, that, well, first Blanche, you know, they, there's a rumor started that Blanche and Gil slept together. Oh, my God. And all the women think that Blanche just used her sexual ways to sort of ruin this man's campaign and then it's revealed that gill is a trans man they don't use this language by the way and that's what makes this episode so complicated it's it's a bit transphobic i think like i think you can probably safely say it's a bit transphobic and the it's sort of comedy at the benefit of his trans identity which i don't necessarily enjoy however it is representation of queerness on the Golden Girls, so I am including Gil and John Shook in this roundup of honorable mentions. Blanche Devereaux and I never had an affair. I only said that to improve my image. Ha 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 ha. Blanche is too good a person to be used that way. In fact, she's the one who made me realize how important honesty is. And that's why I'm going to be honest with you about something else, too. I'm not who you think I am. In 1968, I had an operation. Until that time, I lived life as part-time stenographer and mild-mannered housewife, Anna Maria Bonaducci. What? I can't believe it. What do you say about my hunches now, Dorothy? Five more minutes, I would have had it. How could you know? No one knew. Please, look at his nose. Of course he's Italian. Another one, and a fun one, and she was a very subtle moment. She wasn't in it much, but she definitely left an impression for me, is Deborah Rose. She played Midge in the season three episode, The Housekeeper. Now, if you don't remember Midge, don't worry, because like she was in it for like two seconds, but she had an iconic line where she's this big old butch woman, and she says she spent time in San Quentin, 15 years in San Quentin, and she saw violence, and she saw despair, and she saw Johnny Cash eight times. And she's just, 
She's just like that lesbian that I just love because I want them to like not only protect me, but also like maybe help me fix things at home. Like Midge could have done that. Midge could have like basically taken care of the home. And in fact, even though I loved Marguerite, as Dorothy would say, I still think Midge may have actually made a better maid than Marguerite because she was studying to be a lawyer. You know what I mean? She didn't have time. Midge would have been better. Anyway, another episode that is deserves to be in the pride sort of like canon of the Golden Girls and the queer canon of the Golden Girls, but it isn't necessarily a queer episode. It's Ebtide's Revenge in season six, Phil's funeral. And the reason why I'm including it as an honorable mention, but not as sort of like one of the pride episodes is because it isn't it, even though it does display sort of like he, Phil was non-binary you know what I mean Phil sort of did what 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 Phil wanted to do and I do believe that Phil probably identified as male but like you know he was on the spectrum in a lot of ways and he was definitely a queer character and this episode I think what makes this great an, a great episode for pride is that it it, it it sort of it sort of harks on sort of this idea of like accepting people for who they are as they come no matter how they come if you will and another thing that i love about this episode is it it harks back to um how estelle getty got on the golden girls you know what i mean she was in a great 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 broadway play harvey firestein's play torch song trilogy and that whole play was about this man sort of this drag queen coming to terms and wanting sort of like a monogamous relationship and a child and tragedy happens and he and his mom have to sort of like wrestle and the mom is wrestling with accepting her son and her son's relationship and and her son being a widow and all of these different things and there was a lot of themes from Torch Song Trilogy that played out in Ebtide's Revenge. So if you liked Ebtide's Revenge, which of course you did, because why else would you be listening to this podcast if you didn't like, you know, an episode of The Golden Girls, then you really should go watch Torch Song Trilogy. Uh, now, Anne Bancroft plays the character that Estelle Getty originated on Broadway, but it still will, you can see Estelle Getty in the part, and it's just one of those sh- movies that I think every every person who's a fan of The Golden Girls really should watch, because it's important to how Estelle Getty got even on The Golden Girls. My last honorable mention, though, this one's personal, and actually has nothing to do. I mean, they never played gay on the show. They never were gay on the show. There was never a gay storyline with them on the show, but it is my deep, deep fantasy that Michael had a gay moment uh, during his time on the Golden Girls. I believe it to be true because in my brain, it is true. And so that is why I am ending this honorable mentions with Dorothy's son, Michael, perhaps the hottest person to ever, ever appear on the Golden Girls. Sorry, Jake. Okay, so now that we've gotten the honorable mentions out of the way, I do think it's very important that we hear from my deep, deep, deep BFF, one of my favorite people in the world, Carrie Doherty. I asked her if she could do just one little audio clip because she... So when we did, when we covered the episode, um, Isn't It Romantic, the season two episode where Jean comes and visits her friend Dorothy, one thing was discovered when we recorded that episode. Carrie does a great impersonation. Carrie can do Blanche and all of the characters really so, so well. And when we did that episode, people responded to how well Carrie does impersonations, which made me insanely jealous. So here is a message from Carrie where I promise you she will do the, the impersonation that you all have been wanting for. I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it. Here she is. Hi everyone. It's Carrie. 
I'm so sorry I'm not there recording with H. Allen today. I'm sure some of you know I'm literally about to pop a baby out of my body. (laughs) But I did want to record a message to say happy pride to all the Golden Girls fans in the LGBTQ community. I love you all so much. I know I say this all the time, but the Golden Girls community is my favorite. I love the warmth and the joy and the sense of community um, that you guys have always given us and given each other. And it's just such a special place in my heart. And this month we celebrate you, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. And I know H. Allen is going to make a bomb-ass episode based on what they've told me they're going to be doing today. So I just wanted to say hi, and I miss you all, and I love you all, and thank you all so much for your support of the podcast over the years. We always love talking to you, and I think I'm just going to finish this by saying lesbian. 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 Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Oh, I love Carrie so much. I hate that she's not here. But hey, she's having a baby. I can't be mad about that. We're going to have a little baby Aurora. I love it. I can't wait. Anyway, okay, guys. Let's get into these episodes, shall we? Here we go. So the first episode that we're going to honor this pride is the very first episode of the series, The Engagement, season one, episode one. And even though there wasn't, this is sort of a rare one in the pride episodes that I've chosen because there isn't really a gay storyline, but it does have Coco. And queerness was a big part of why this show even got started in a lot of ways. So Coco was played by the late Charles Levin. He was a character actor who died in 2019, and he had been in so many things. I mean, you've seen him in so many shows and so many movies, and he was just a great, great character actor, and his death was a real loss and a controversial death, too. I I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but you should definitely Google Charles Levin's um, pretty tragic death. Uh, but he played a character that originally had a lot of, of screen time on the series, but on the first episode, but then because Estelle Getty came in and was just 
I mean, test audiences and people, the audience just reacted to Estelle Getty playing Sophia in such a way that, you know, they, they had they had shot so much footage of the first episode that the only thing that they really could cut from the episode to highlight more of Sophia in the episode was Charles's parts, was Coco's role in his, his sort of, you know, placement within the grouping of these four women. Now, in a New York Times interview, Warren Littlefield, who was executive producer of the Golden Girls, um, said that... The Golden Girls, they knew they wanted to put something on air. The quote is that they they propelled the Golden Girls because we knew we would be doing nothing like, there would be nothing like it on air. And referring to that, there were, this was for older women, which a show had never really been on television before. These sort of, these type of women on television with no men sort of being a catalyst to their story. And so they, the a, a priority early on from NBC was that we had to have, you know, these four women, but also they wanted something that that represented a different quality, a different group that hadn't been represented on television, and that was a gay character. And so that was one of Littlefield's demands was that you had to have a gay character, and Susan Harris did it, and she had had experience doing this. I mean, she held the credit for having one of the, uh, you know, first regular queer characters on a sitcom in the show Soap, which she wrote for. And so, you know, she was definitely a trailblazer in that way in being able to include these type of sort of unique marginalized characters into mainstream sitcoms. And so she added Coco into the mix. And it was the first time that this character it didn't really hinge on his sexuality, you know what I mean? Yeah, he was the butler, and he did, he was a supporting character, and he's definitely supported the women, and he wasn't very dimensional in sort of, you know, this person's life. We didn't know where he came from, how he got to this, how he got this job, anything like that, but it still was, in 1985, a queer character on television that there was no coming out, he wasn't dying of anything, he was no tragic end story to him. It was just sort of like this character was existing, which was a huge, huge, huge deal in 1985. So big kudos to everyone. I mean, Warren Littlefield, Susan Harris, everyone involved for including this character. And even though I think they made the right decision in not carrying on this character and us seeing Coco in other episodes. It is just, it is still sort of sad that Coco wasn't around for more episodes of the What if she marries him? What'll happen to us? This house is hers. Then we'll move. We can't afford to buy a house. What do we have for collateral? A gay cook? <laughs> now things really start getting gay in season two. I mean, everything was gay along the way, but things get really gay in season two. In the uh, episode five, isn't it romantic? Where Dorothy's friend Jean comes to visit after her partner dies. Her partner Pat dies, and over the course of the episode, of course, we all know Jean falls for Rose. Jean has the hots for Rose. You know, it's a moment. Now, Jean was played by Lois Nettleton, and this episode, we can you can tell that this episode really struck a nerve and was a really big episode, not only with fans, but also with critics. Uh, Lois earned an Emmy nomination for her performance on this episode, which just goes to show you how important this episode was, that they offered it up for Emmy consideration at, at the, when the Emmys came around. Jean. Dorothy! Oh, honey, it is so good to see you. Sophia! Oh, you haven't aged a bit. You look great. Oh, Jean, you were always a terrific girl. Dorothy, why can't you be more like Jean? Scratch that. Where are your roommates, Dorothy? Uh, Jean, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. 
I uh, don't know quite how to phrase this. The lesbian uh, thing, do you keep it under your hat or what? <laughs> Ma, Jane, do you? I mean, you know, what I mean yeah, is I, I... I know what you mean. You didn't tell your roommates that Pat was a woman, did no, you? Well, they just assumed that Pat was your husband, and I wanted to make sure it was okay with you before I told oh, them. Well, listen, Dorothy, I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of who I am. Hey, you know your friends better than I do. Do you think they're the kind of people who can handle it? I'd prefer to tell them. Here we are, ice cream clowns with sugar cone hats for everybody. It'll be our little secret. The reason why this episode, I think, is so impactful, it came out in 1986, and, you know, there there had been sort of, like, female characters on television that had sort of played the line of sexuality and, you know, female, especially lesbian sexuality had been, of course, wasn't displayed prominently on television, but there were examples of, there were more examples of it in popular culture than there probably were of gay male characters on television because often gay male characters were the victim of something. They were either dying of a disease or they were being murdered or they were murderers or there was some sort of tragic thing, whereas women, because of the patriarchy, were sort of displayed as weak and, and sort of deranged for having lesbian sexuality or lesbian preferences. And and so they they this character came in, again, similar to Coco, fully defined by who she was and where she was coming from in life. You know what I mean? She had spent all these years with Pat and she was sad and she was visiting her friend who wasn't going to judge her for, you know, having loved a woman all those years. She was just a person who loved someone who had a loss, and she was going to her friend Dorothy to sort of try to get over that loss. Now, of course, one of the great things about this episode, and I think what sort of defined the Golden Girls as different from other shows, because there were other shows on television that were doing storylines sort of similar to this, queer storylines in different kinds of ways, covering AIDS, covering, you know, gay relationships and gay people, but Again, they were similar to what we had seen before. You know, there was always, it was always a very special episode or it was always something tragic happened or someone was dying or something big was happening. Whereas with this episode and it sort of, the Golden Girls sort of cemented that they were different in that they still focused on the comedy. I mean, this episode, as you know, with with Carrie doing the lesbian, 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 this episode was so funny. And there were so many moments where they respected the story of Jean and her sort of relationship and her lesbian identity, while at the same time finding areas where you can laugh. And I think that's what set the Golden Girls apart for all the very special episodes they did in the future, because they were able to be serious while also being really, really funny. Come on now, I heard you laughing. What's so funny? Come on, it's not funny. <laughs> the hell it's not. Jean in love with little Miss Muffet. Come on. <laughs> what is going on? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> oh, come on now. I heard you laughing. What's so funny? For starters, Jean is a lesbian. <laughs> What's funny about that? You aren't surprised? Of course not. I mean, I've never known any personally, but... Isn't Danny Thomas one? <laughs> Not Lebanese, Blanche. <laughs> Lesbian. 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 
lesbian. <laughs> but isn't that where one woman and no, another... We already know what it means. But Jean's a very attractive woman. She could have any man she wants. She doesn't want them. Well, why not? Man has so much more to offer, you know what I mean, Doctor? Yeah, I found that out when Mark Perper was running for class president in the third grade. Why, what does that have to do with anything? Well, his campaign slogan was, vote for me and I'll show you my wee-wee. <laughs> he won by a landslide. never understand what Jean doesn't see in the opposite sex, but hey, if that's what makes her happy, that's fine by me. There's one other thing. Jean thinks she's in love with Rose. Oh, Rose? <laughs> Jean has the hearts for Rose? <laughs> I don't believe it. I do not believe it. I was pretty surprised myself. Well, I'll bet. To think Jean would prefer Rose over me? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Now, you tell me the truth. If you had to pick between me and Rose, who would you pick? Blanche, pull yourself together. Now, the counterpart to Jean for iconic gay characters on the Golden Girls is, of course, Blanche's brother, Clayton. And two seasons later, in season four, we have another iconic queer moment where Blanche's brother, Clayton, comes to visit his sister Blanche, and in over the course of his visit, he not only comes out to Rose, but he also says that maybe he, he lies and says he sleeps with Rose, and then mayhem ensues. I need to talk. Oh, honey, what is it? Well, all day long, Blanche has been giving me looks. I think she's really mad. Look, Rose, what happened between you and Clayton last night is your business, not Blanche's. But that's just the point, Dorothy. Nothing happened between Clayton and me. Nothing physical, anyway. Well, why did Clayton say the two of you slept together if you hadn't? Because he's trying to hide something about himself from Blanche. I don't even feel right saying it out loud. Maybe if I just whispered it. <laughs> Clayton is a hobo? Now I get it. Oh, good. I thought I was going to have to draw you a picture. <laughs> and I'm not sure I'd know how. Clayton was played by Monty Markham, who is still working. He has apparently a new film coming out next year in 2022 called Silent Life. So kudos to, to, to Monty. And also, what a great name. But Clayton was a character that, similar to Gene, that... You know, even though he did need to have the coming out and, and the episode really did revolve around sort of his gayness and only his gayness, nothing else about him, really, it still was done with humor and respect in a way that a lot of other shows sort of didn't really handle gay characters coming out. It was, the, you know, there was always an emotional coming out. And Michael, or not Michael, excuse me, well, I here I am, Freudian slip, wanting Dorothy's son Michael to be gay. Clayton was 
you know, he wasn't crying about being gay. He wasn't even ashamed of being gay. He was he was scared of telling his sister because of what his sister's reaction would be, but he wasn't ashamed of himself. And I think that was really what set this episode and this character apart from other examples of gayness on television. He wasn't ashamed of being gay. And that was huge in 1988 when this episode came out. Keep in mind, you know, the AIDS virus was was tearing apart the gay gay men all across the world at this point, and and there was a lot of sort of controversy over gay male sexuality. And here we have this man on one of the most popular television shows in the country, proudly saying he's gay, and only just feeling uncomfortable about maybe telling his sister that he's gay. But that's it. He's still really happy that he's gay. Happy. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so Clayton was just sort of an iconic character on the Golden Girls. You all over at the bar, I just want to say that I would be very proud to have any one of you date my brother. I'd rather date you, lady. Sweet Jesus, I've just done the impossible. I converted one. The next episode comes in season five, 72 hours. Now, this is, of course, the AIDS episode. It's the episode where Rose is afraid that, um, or she's told that she might have, there might have been HIV antibodies in a blood transfusion she had received a few years earlier in a surgery. And it's 72 hours to find out if she's HIV positive or not. And it was a, it was a, it was a serious episode. And I think, you know, this episode stands out because, again, like I said with the other episode, it's still funny. There are still very funny moments. Sophia really picks up on a lot of the humor in this episode, um, the art cup, etc. But it, it it is definitely more serious in nature. I always sort of compare 72 Hours to the Designing Women episode where they had a character who was HIV positive. And that episode was very serious. I mean, there was jokes in it, of course, but it was it hinged on being very dramatic. Whereas 72 Hours still finds room for humor. And uh, I think that's one of the things that makes this episode so special. Now, when we recorded this episode, when, back when we were covering the podcast, um, or covering every episode on the podcast, we had the writer of this episode, Tracy Gamble, on to talk about all the episodes he did. But this was a very special episode that Tracy did. And he told us that that this that this the inspiration for this story came from his mother, because his mother had received a letter that a blood transfusion possibly had had HIV antibodies. And of course, she was fine. But it was it, they he used that as an example to sort of put into the episode. And, and he used Rose, which I think was intentional. You know, on television, one of the great things about television, I think, is that we become so familiar with characters on television and we become, they become like almost part of the family. And, you know, in television history, sometimes artists had sort of used this sort of familiar nature that we have as an audience with characters to kind of teach us a lesson. And so like, for example, in Roots, you know, all of the white slave owners were these sort of iconic male TV dads, you know what I mean? Like the Brady dad was on it. And and there are so many sort of like characters, actors that we knew and loved in a sort of a wholesome way playing really horrible people. And, and I think in the same sort of way, they used Rose as sort of a catalyst to have greater conversations because she was sort of this sweet character that you wouldn't expect to be HIV positive or to have a drug addiction or, you know, whatever the problem was. And they used Rose as sort of a an emotional touchstone to sort of teach viewers or tell viewers or expose viewers to sort of 
different things. And I think that's what makes this episode so special. So big kudos to Tracy Gamble for writing not only one of the most iconic episodes of the Golden Girls, but also doing it in a masterclass of a way. Hi, Rose. What's going on? Oh, I'm just sitting here kicking myself for not taking care of my gallbladder and for going to that hospital for the operation and for letting them give me blood without asking first, oh, excuse me, are you sure this isn't gonna kill me one day? Now, now, Rose, take it easy. Why does everyone keep saying that? I don't feel like taking it easy. I might have AIDS and it scares the hell out of me. And yet every time I open my mouth to talk about it, somebody says, there, there, Rose, take it easy. I'm sorry, honey. Why me, Blanche? I'm tired of pretending I feel okay so you won't say take it easy. And I'm tired of you saying take it easy because you're afraid I'm going to fall apart. Damn it, why is this happening to me? I mean, this isn't supposed to happen to people like me. You must have gone to bed with hundreds of men. <laughs> All I had was one innocent operation. Hey, wait a minute. Are you saying this should be me and not you? No, no, I'm just saying that I'm a good person. <laughs> Hell, I'm a goody two-shoes. AIDS is not a bad person's disease, Rose. It is not God punishing people for their sins. You're right, Blanche. Well, you're damn straight I'm right. I'm sorry I yelled at oh, you. Oh, don't apologize. I mean, this is what I want. I... Oh, God, this waiting is driving me crazy. Blanche, when you were tested, how did you make it through? Just kept it to myself and acted like a real bitch to everybody else. <laughs> no wonder we never knew. The other episode, the other iconic gay episode in our list of most iconic queer episodes is Clayton's return in season six, uh, season six, episode 14, Sisters of the Bride, where Clayton returns with his boyfriend, Doug, whom he plans to marry. Now, this came out in 1991, so their legal gay marriage was not legal anywhere in the United States or I think in the world at that point. And there had been a lawsuit, I believe, in California um, around the same time as this episode. So maybe that was the inspiration for this episode. I don't know. That is credited as sort of leading the way for marriage equality, especially in California. But, of course, nothing had happened. So this was a, a big episode because the idea of two people of the same sex either getting married or having a commitment ceremony or anything like that was really, really rare in 1991. And here on... Again, one of the biggest biggest shows on television, sort of highlighting a gay wedding is huge. And so Clayton comes and, you know, Doug, who was played by uh, Michael Ayer, 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 can't say his name. He was a, he acted for many years, but then it seems like he retired in 1992, shortly after this episode aired, which is sad because he was a bit of a snack, don't you think? He was very handsome. Um, but they, uh, during the course of the episode, Blanche is uncomfortable with sort of her brother, she's okay with him being gay, but she's uncomfortable with him expressing himself being gay or being in a relationship. And I think that was really important to sort of show in 1991 because, you know, here we were, just to give you sort of a history lesson on the timeline of gay rights in this, in this country, um, in 1991, you know, AIDS was still a big, big, big topic. And, but yet it had sort of in some ways seemed like there was a, we had a better understanding of it. You know, AZT was out and 
people were living longer than they had in the early days of the AIDS epidemic. Of course, it was still, I mean, it still was an epidemic and people were dying and it was tragic, but there was more of an understanding. And Ryan White had just happened. In fact, I believe Ryan White had either just died or was about to die around when this episode aired. And so the, and Ryan White was the teenager who sort of became the face of AIDS, even though he wasn't gay and he, you know, he had gotten it through a blood transfusion. His storyline and his sort of acceptance of, you know, it not being a gay person's disease sort of allowed more of an understanding of even gay people in the world. And and uh, and he did a lot for gay rights in a lot of ways, too. And so it, w- it was becoming sort of commonplace to see gay people on television. And you had these two actors, Clayton Doug, who, you know, they were expressing their commitment to each other. And the Golden Girls in some way kind of normalized straight people's reaction to gay people wanting some sort of quote-unquote normalcy of what straight people quote-unquote had and and it was really telling blanche's reaction to to clayton wanting to get married to doug um because i think a lot of straight people probably were uncomfortable with the they're okay with people being gay and their hairdresser being gay and just gay people existing in the world but not doing the things that straight people did you know and i think blanche really normalize that in a lot of ways and also it's similar to what rose did during the 72 hours episode or what they did with the character of rose in the 72 hours episode they were doing with blanche in this episode by using this character who seemingly was always open was very very open sexually very open to having fun and different sort of lifestyles and being different and being sexy and being out there and yet this one example of someone wanting to be the most open they can be and say that they love someone in public to their family and friends, Blanche was like, no, 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 no. She was very conservative. And they sort of used that character being conservative in that weird moment to sort of show how strange it is, how strange it is for her to be conservative in this moment. And it really sort of opened, I think, a lot of understanding to gay relationships. And of course, Sophia's amazing, amazing monologue, which every single Pride, you will always see a meme, I think I've posted it too, of Sophia giving this exact speech to Blanche. It's incredible. Blanche, I've been thinking about Clayton and Doug, and I have a question. What? Why do men have nipples? (laughs) I have no idea. You think it's because God has a sense of humor and isn't as uptight as the rest of us? (laughs) It's easier for you to say that, Sophia. It's not your brother who's getting married to a man. Hey, it's not like the guys in my family never kissed a man. Of course, that was business. (laughs) Although there was that one hitman who always had to have a flower in his lapel and would hold the kiss of death a little longer than he had to. (laughs) Oh, look, I can accept the fact that he's gay, but why does he have to slip a ring on this guy's finger so the whole world will know? Why did you marry George? We loved each other. We wanted to make a lifetime commitment, wanted everybody to know. That's what Doug and Clayton want, too. Everyone wants someone to grow old with, and shouldn't everyone have that chance? (sighs) Sophia, I think I see what you're getting at. I don't think you do. Blanche, will you marry me? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sophia. I need to go talk to them. Fine, but I'll need an answer. I'm not going to wait for you forever. Now, 
you're probably wondering, there's no other episode that has a gay storyline in uh, The Golden Girls after that season six episode, Sisters of the Bride. And you would kind of be right, but not really, because there is one moment of lesbian representation on The Golden Girls that it doesn't involve Jean that I think is... It's, it's in a weird way, it's kind of when on the Golden Girls, gay people just became the norm. They just became sort of like, this is, this is who we are. And, and in season seven episode, the episode 14 of season seven, Goodbye, Mr. Gordon, Dorothy's teacher, of course, comes to visit Dorothy. And, and she, of course, was very smitten with this teacher. And over the course of the episode, Dorothy and Blanche agree to be on the talk show that Rose is working on. What they don't know is that Rose confuses sort of women living together, which she thinks, oh, yeah, that's what my roommates do, with the intent of the episode, which is highlighting lesbian relationships. And it's, of course, Dorothy is trying to woo this teacher, and he's seeing her as a lesbian on television, local television. It's a very funny episode. And there's a moment where, well, let's just play the moment. We're back. Let's meet our panelists. Dorothy, a lesbian. Blanche, another lesbian. <laughs> and Pat and Kathy, image consultants. How come they're not lesbians? We don't believe in labels. I mean, image consultants, what even is an image consultant? But I just love the tomfoolery of these two women, these these two lesbians. One was played by um, uh, Jana Arnold. That was Pat. And I don't, I can't find the actress's name who played Kathy. She's a mystery. She's a mystery image consultant. But they were so great in this little moment because they didn't want to, they don't, they don't believe in labels, you know, which is just such a funny I just love that this moment, there was nothing, nothing had to be explained. There didn't have to be a special moment of understanding these women's relationships. It literally was all for the sake of comedy. And I've always believed that, like, even in my own stand-up, that I'm not going to come out as gay in my stand-up. You're going to know that I'm gay in my stand-up. And you're just going to have to accept that I'm going to talk about relationships as if they're just... I don't have to. I don't have to explain or, or, or start that, oh, this is... A, I went on a date with a man. You know what I mean? There was no explanation of it it was just it is what it is and that's what i think makes the golden girls so special especially towards the end in dealing with queer storylines is that they just threw it out there as this is this is a part of our life this is normal and you should also view it as normal too golden girls incredible okay so those were the iconic episodes of the golden girls that featured a queer storyline if i left something out or if you think that you have a different take on these these episodes please by all means leave a reaction in the comments uh, on our instagram posts or on our social posts on twitter or even on the podcast reviews leave a review explaining what you think about this specific episode um, there are so many different moments that I know you guys have reactions to. So please leave your reactions. We want to hear from you. Now, next is the golden takeaway where I explain why I think the Golden Girls is so loved by queer people. Don't go away. <laughs> Obviously, the Golden Girls is super gay and uh, always was, always will be. But for me, what stands out, well, 
aside from them throwing out Coco after the first episode, although that was pretty ahead of its time. For me, when I think of Golden Girls and Pride, I think about Phil, Dorothy's cross-dressing brother, and even though he was the source of a lot of comedy, it always felt gentle. It never felt like it was too mean or really at his expense. It felt uh, affirming in a gentle way. Um, And, you know, when it all came to a head at the funeral with Big Sally, um, it was amazing that they basically exonerated Sophia for having guilt about his cross-dressing and how his wife normalized it for her, and it all made sense. It was really touching, and in my opinion, uh, Estelle Getty's finest performance on the show. Um, And that's what feels super gay to me about the Golden Girls. That was Golden Girls VIP Elliot Glazer sharing his thoughts on just what makes the Golden Girls so gay. Love Elliot so much. So one of the questions I get asked all the time is why do gay people love the Golden Girls? And that's why I think I'm going to answer it. And that's why I think this is my golden takeaway for today. I don't think it it is my golden takeaway for today. Um, The Golden Girls... I don't think it's just gay people. I think Golden Girls respond, people who are marginalized respond to the Golden Girls. And here's why. The Golden Girls, like Warren Littlefield said in that interview that I mentioned at the top of the episode, they, they represent something that isn't seen on television a lot, but is seen in life a lot. People who sort of aren't doing what society expects us to do, be it because we don't want to do it or because something in our lives forced us to not be able to do it, you know? And it could be lots of different reasons. It could be our sexuality. It could be our age. It could be our gender. It could be our race. And the Golden Girls represented for those people who are marginalized, who fit into all of those factions that I that I just said, they represent sort of giving a middle finger to society and saying, well, no, fuck you. I'm going to live with my friends, and I'm going to date who I want, and I'm going to be sexual at a different age, and I'm going to accept my brother who's gay or my friend who's gay or who's trans or who whatever, and and live your life the way you want to live without society sort of subscribing to you how you or telling you how you should be living. And that's what I think makes the Golden Girls so special, and that's why I think gay people respond to the Golden Girls, um, why they respond so so warmly to the Golden Girls. Why people of color respond to the Golden Girls the way they do, why women respond to the Golden Girls the way they do, and even why some, you know, of my straight male friends respond to the Golden Girls the way they do. They represent sort of something unique about our identities when we feel a little left out, and they they show that, yeah, there is representation for me out there in some way, and I, I just love that about the Golden Girls. So that is why I think marginalized people in general, but queer people, because it is pride, queer people respond to the Golden Girls in the way that they do. And you guys, this has been Out on the Lanai. I I mean, I've never done an episode 
by myself before. How did I do? I hope you weren't bored. Was it boring? I hope not. I really hope not. So if you guys like this episode, of course, please go give a rating and review on wherever you listen to podcasts. And also be sure to follow us on all of the social media. You know, we're Golden Girls Pod on Twitter and we're out on the Lanai official on Instagram and all those places. And you can follow me at H. Allen Scott on everything, at Sadie Pines on everything. And you can follow Carrie. Oh, God, Carrie's social handles are insane. So it's Squid Eat Squid on Twitter. And it's Squidzy, or maybe I have that backwards, Squidzy on Instagram. I don't know. She's Squid. She's Squid a lot of things. Just go to Golden Girls handles and you'll see both of our handles. And we'll be back with more special episodes, more rewinds, and more fun to come as Carrie, of course, Carrie and Stan welcome their new baby after she settles down a little bit and gets into that motherly mode. I can't wait. She probably will be singing Mr. Sandman to little Aurora, which I'm so excited to, to also do one day when, I, when Michael and I get to babysit. Um, and in the meantime, guys, until we do our next special episode, remember, as always... Stay gold. I am you.